What an amazing time of worship. That was incredible. Thank you, band. Uh, so if you were here last week, we um, talked about Nehemiah chapter 1. We looked at how Nehemiah was a man of great prayer. And uh, at the end of the service, we prayed for a whole bunch of stuff. If you were here, you'll remember. One of the things we prayed for, Lord, a new venue. Do you know what happened on Monday morning? We started, well, we've been looking at venues for months, right? But we came across a venue that looks really suitable, and we put an offer to lease on this venue. I'm not going to tell you where it is yet, but I would like us to pray, because we prayed last Sunday and something happened the next day. Can we pray, Lord, if this is your will, let nothing stand in the way. So can we do that? Father, we thank you that you want to give us new ground, new territory, and Father, we pray right now in faith. Just like Nehemiah had favor with the king, Lord, would you give us favor with the landlords of this building? Father, we ask for your goodness to be demonstrated in this thing. Father, let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Very excited to hopefully reveal what that is in the near future, uh, but do pray with us because we are trusting for something amazing. This venue is amazing. <laughs> Amazing, amazing thing. Can you put up that first picture, please, Isabel? Thank you. <laughs> what do you think this represents? What the kids say when you ask them to tidy up? No. <laughs> Time management? <laughs> procrastination. Anyone heard the word procrastination? The stuff like we know we should do, but we just like mm, do something else. You know that feeling where you like, sometimes it's like a certain task or activity, like you do it at the last minute because it's the, it's the least enjoyable thing you like to do. You, there's lots of smiling faces around the building. You know what I am. I, I love comics, and one of the comics I love is Garfield, that orange cat who likes Italian food and he's very lazy. I can remember one of the Garfield comic strips that said about procrastination, he says, why do today what we can put off till tomorrow? It's like it's the epitome of procrastination. Uh, read some other quotes about procrastinating. I'm not a procrastinator. I'm just extremely productive at doing unimportant things. Some people say that hard work pays off after some time, but laziness pays off right now. <laughs> procrastinator. No, I'm just, I'm waiting till the last second to do my work because then I'm going to be older and wiser. I'll know exactly how to do it better. Procrastination is like a credit card. It's a lot of fun until you get the bill. So procrastination, I think we're all familiar with that thing. Uh, I think procrastination is one of those things that stops us achieving our goals in life and our dreams, and many other things, right? But procrastination is one of them. We could ask this question, what stops us reaching our spiritual goals, the things that God's called us to, our purpose? What are the things that block us, that hinder us, that trip us up? There'd be many answers, things like fear, fear of failure. That's the one that I battle with. Sin, distraction, busyness, disobedience, selfishness. Not seeing God and His kingdom as important as it should be. In other words, the priorities in my life are all the wrong way around. There's many other things as well. 
But, I, but one of them for sure, I think, is procrastination. We just have good desires. We want to do stuff for God. We've got great intentions. We, we'd love to go on that outreach on the 23rd. But then we just, we don't action it. We don't follow through with it. We lack the action. Many of us make excuses, hey? I'm, I'm too busy. Not enough time. I, I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm not a leader in the church. I can't do X and Y. So we have these excuses. But I, but I think the fact that we procrastinate and we just don't put feet to our intentions because we have intentions, good intentions, some of those things stop us reaching what God has for us. Let me give a couple of quotes here. Carl Jung says, you are what you do, not what you say you'll do. Okay? And Cindy DuBose said, action always beats intention. We can have the greatest ideas, talk the greatest talk, but if we're not doing something, not helpful. And so th today we're continuing in the book of Nehemiah, looking at this man in the Old Testament, looking at his life, because he was a man of great action. You'll see today, he did not procrastinate at all. In fact, he's probably on the other end of the scale. And a quick summary about the book of Nehemiah and where we find ourselves, we'll jump into chapter two in a moment. Nehemiah is a regular guy. He's in Babylon, in exile. The Jews have been taken off to exile because they hadn't followed God's word and his laws. And he's cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Some of the exiles go back to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel. Some years later, more of them go back under the priest Ezra. So chapter 1 opens with Nehemiah's brother, Hanani, coming from Jerusalem to visit him in Babylon. And he tells him what Jerusalem's like. And as we read last week, the city's in ruins, the gates are burnt, the, the wall's broken down. And Nehemiah's response is, he's distraught, he's upset, he's sad, he weeps, he mourns, he fasts, he prays the most moving prayer. We looked at that last week. We'll read chapter 2 in a moment, or part of it. But fast forward, Nehemiah chats to the king, and he decides to go back to Jerusalem, and he gathers the people, and he stirs their hearts, and they rebuild the wall, and there's a celebration. And then Ezra and Nehemiah start some reforms in the city, and they start reading God's word, and they start changing their lives like a mini revival breaks out. That's kind of the, the big picture summary of Nehemiah, despite all the opposition that they face. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. 
Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. He sees the favor that God shows him through this king, and he gets bold. We're not going to read it, but he asked the king for letters that he could travel safely through the countryside. And he asked the king for letters he could have provision and timber to rebuild the city and the gates. And he gets them. So Nehemiah was a man of great action. Let's look at some things that, that show us and teach us how to be people of action. Firstly, Nehemiah, he takes opportunities prayerfully. As the king says, what is it you want? He, it says, I prayed to God and I answered the king. He took the opportunity prayerfully. Not just any opportunity that came up, took it prayerfully. Now, the time period from the end of chapter 1 to where we've just read now is four months. So Nehemiah is praying. He's sad for the city for four months. He waits patiently for the right moment, and he prayerfully takes that opportunity. And it seems like, secondly, that he really made some plans in those four months. He'd made some plans because he knew exactly what to ask for. He knew exactly how to pose the question to the king, very respectfully, if it pleases the king. So he must have been planning to do something. He had planned to leave Jerusalem. He wasn't just shooting from the hip. He wasn't just making up stuff as he went along in the conversation. He'd made some plans. He'd planned to go back and see the city rebuilt. And isn't it amazing that he had decided to go back and leave his job security, leave the palace, he had a very prominent role, leave his comforts to go and be in construction. Like, you wouldn't think that's a great career move, right? He didn't let comforts stop what God wanted. I wonder, friends, if our comforts often hold us back from serving God fully. Nehemiah, thirdly, didn't let comfort get in the way or stop him taking action. In fact, he took a great risk by embarking on this massive project. C.T. Studd said this, God is not looking for nibblers of the possible, but for grabbers of the impossible. Number four, Nehemiah didn't take any unnecessary delays. He doesn't waste time. As soon as the king grants permission, it says just after where we read, he goes to Jerusalem. He gets on his donkey or horse and he goes. A couple days after he gets to Jerusalem, he rides around the city at night. He inspects the walls himself. He doesn't delay. He's, he's on the go. And he gathers, after he's inspected the walls and the city, he sees how bad it is. He gathers the officials, the nobles of the city, and he talks to them. Let's read in verse 17 of chapter 2. Then I said to the officials, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. He explained how the king had let him go and given him an amazing favor and provisions. They replied, let us start rebuilding. 
the ESV says, let us rise up and build. There's a shout that goes out, let us rise up and build. So they began this good work. You know, any work of God is a good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, maybe it should be horror, <laughs> Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. Remember those three guys from last week? Making trouble, causing opposition, making it difficult for the Jews. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. Amen. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you guys, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Number five, Nehemiah knows that ultimately success comes from God. He knows that he's got to do a whole bunch of stuff. He's a man of action. But he knows unless God's in it, it's not going to succeed. And we can do lots of stuff, but if God is not in it, it's just dead works. Nehemiah knows that we co-labor with God. We work together with Him. God's will is done through people. God is at work. So is Nehemiah. He's doing stuff. God stirs the heart of the king, gives him favor. Nehemiah grabs it quickly, goes to Jerusalem, organizes the people, starts rebuilding. God is at work, and Nehemiah is at work. And friends, it's the same with you and I. God is at work. Sometimes we just need to open our eyes and see what he's doing. We often don't see what he's doing behind the scenes. God is at work. God at work plus you and I at work equals the kingdom advances. God's part of the equation is good. He's at work always, Jesus said. I'm always at work. My father's always at work. But I think sometimes you and I, that part of the equation isn't always where it should be, hey? <laughs> We're the ones that need to get a bit more active, like, like Nehemiah. God will use anyone as long as we're willing, available, and obedient. You'll use anyone. Don't have to be qualified. Don't have to be trained. Don't have to be a good speaker. Look at Moses. Don't have to have a theology degree. Don't have to. God will use anyone. Illiterate fisherman Peter. Willing, available, obedient. If we're not willing, God can't use us. If we're not available, God will pick whoever's there. If we're not obedient, we're not listening to God. Why would He lead us? God's kingdom is going to advance through us as we partner with what God's doing. So we hear, Lord, what are you doing? How can I get involved? Lord, we're going on an outreach. What is my part in that? This is what it looks like practically. As a parent, little example, my responsibility is to bring up my kids so that they can fall in love with Jesus, that I can love them, that they can see God's love. We can have fun together. We can play together. We can go on adventures together. I can teach them about life, the little bit that I've learned, etc. I have to protect them. And then the church that I go to, the leaders felt to run a parenting course. You know that we didn't just invent this last week because we're bored. We've wanted to do this from last year. 
The church that I'm going to now is running a parenting course. God directed. What is my part to be active? Well, I've got to sign up. I've got to attend that parenting course so I can be equipped to better parent my kids. That's my part of the equation. God is at work, specialist from Durban coming to train us on parenting. My part is, oh, I need to free up my schedule. Either I need to make babysitting plans or sign my kids in. Also, I realize that the kids, my kids, go to school, and they've got a class full of other kids, and we've gotten to know some of the parents because of birthday parties or because of play dates or whatever it might be. Actually, God's kingdom can come through me to others. I can invite other parents, not in the church, to come along. You, your neighbor might have kids that are wild and unruly. You've got good motivation to invite them and their parents to come along. But friends, God, isn't this amazing? God can work in someone else's life because of my simple invitation, forwarding a WhatsApp image. And you know how often this happens, and it, it amazes me every time, and it shouldn't. We'll invite someone to something that we're doing at church, and nine times out of ten, they say, oh, my husband and I were just talking about this last, last week, and we thought we should do X and Y, and now this church is running that thing. It's amazing. Like, God is at work. You won't see it in that couple or in that parent or whatever it might be, but you invite them, and God's already been at work behind the scenes. I can guarantee you. And my simple invitation, with God stirring their heart, eternity can, can happen, friends. Eternal lives, or lives can be changed for eternity from my simple invitation. We're going to be printing out flies next week or two for the parenting course and for a series we're doing in August. We're going to invite people. Why? Because God is at work. So there's a shout that goes up, Nehemiah 2.18, let us rise up and build. It's a great battle cry almost. And uh, Nehemiah, he springs into action. He takes charge he doesn't gather around all the nobles and have a pity party and how oh, bad is Jerusalem. He doesn't look for comfort. He knows what he wants to do. He's convinced uh, of, of his actions. Let us rise up and build. This cry goes around the room. He wanted to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, this big city. And a wall is for protection. It's to stop the enemies getting inside. It's to keep the people safe. It's the defense it's the first barrier against attackers and those who want to steal stuff from the city or destroy it or, or take the land. It makes the people feel secure and safe when they're inside if the wall is whole, right? That's what he wanted to do. And friends, surely that's our job too, not in the physical, but in the spiritual. We have an enemy that's wanting to attack us. We need to make sure our defenses, our boundaries, our walls not excluding people. We don't put up walls to keep people out. We put up our spiritual defenses that we don't get attacked by the devil. Laney preached a couple of weeks ago on the armor of God. You could insert all of those sermons right here. But friends, every one of us, the devil's trying to attack us. He's trying to distract us with all kinds of things. Often, he just keeps us busy, and then we can't make it to the outreach. We've got something else on that parenting weekend. He wants us to let our guard down so he can shoot a fiery dart under our armor. He wants to 
tempt us with false gods like money and sex and power. We should say, let us rise up and build. We can be bulletproof. Husbands and wives, the devil is attacking marriages from every possible angle. We need to rise up and build the marriages so that they can withstand any attack. Parents, our kids need us to construct a safe place physically, emotionally, spiritually. We need to provide protection. We got to rise up and build into their lives that they can be the men and women of God He's called them to. This cry goes out, let us rise up and build. Where are the visionaries ready to spring into action? Where are the risk takers and the, the grabbers of the impossible? Where are the husbands and wives who want to protect their marriage and grow their friendship and guard their intimacy? Where are they? Where are we? We need to rise up. We need to take action like Nehemiah did. We need to do something about it. Amen? Amen. Just checking you there today. Thank you. Number six, Nehemiah was not easily deterred, wasn't put off his course, nothing deterred him. Throughout the book of Nehemiah, there are oppositions that come and threats of attack and enemies wanting to invade. And uh, you know what he does? I'm not going to read them all, but he prays and he sets watchmen so that those who are building the wall can carry on building in safety. There are people protecting them. They've got spears, etc. There's opposition that comes. It doesn't deter him, he immediately springs into action and does something about it. There were also challenges from within his own city. Chapter 4, the wealthy Jews and nobles, they were lending money to their countrymen, right? But at excessive interest rates. And Nehemiah takes action against them. And he confronts them, he rebukes them, and he says, you've got to repay what you've stolen unjustly. It's not fair that you treat your fellow countrymen like this. Give back their land, their vineyards, etc. And amazingly, they do. Apply it to us. What about you and I? Are there things in our lives that don't match up with God's Word? Things that aren't helpful, possibly sin, that we need to confront and deal with, like Nehemiah did, and just take action against it. Why would we even do that? Can I tell you why? Because they hinder us, they stop us, they slow us down from running the race that God has marked out before us. The writer to the Hebrews says, let us run with perseverance, throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles and clutters and, and slows us down. Run with perseverance. Friends, we don't want to hobble into the race and limp into the plans of God simply because we haven't dealt with stuff. And there was more internal opposition for Nehemiah. Also in chapter 4, the people get discouraged. The guys who are building the wall, they can see the progress, and yet they get discouraged and saddened. And they complain. They've heard about these threats of the enemy, those three guys wanting to attack. So Nehemiah, what does he do? Doesn't procrastinate. He jumps into action again. And he reorganizes the workforce, and they end up building with one hand and holding a spear in the other, or a shield, or a sword. 
He just reorganizes. Okay, well, protect yourselves, but, but let's not give up this good work that God's doing. We can, we can hold with one hand a sword and build with the other hand. Not only that, but he points them to God. Listen to what he says. He encourages them in the Lord, Nehemiah 4.14 and 4.20. He says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. For our God shall fight for us. Isn't that amazing? Friends, have you ever had discouragement? Things haven't worked out the way that you had thought or hoped or planned or dreamed. Maybe completely different, a curveball came in. Nehemiah would say, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Surely our God shall fight for us. See, the great cure, the best antidote for disappointment and discouragement when things aren't going our way is to remember who God is. It's to fix our eyes on Him. To meditate on His character and, and knowing and being convinced what He can do. He can fight for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? And who can separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor anything else, any other powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, that's, friends, is how we stay active, by fixing our eyes on Christ, remembering the great and awesome God, the one who can fight for us. Nehemiah was a man of of great action. You know who was greater than him in terms of action? Jesus Christ. You see, there was a plan. Like Nehemiah had a plan. God had a plan. Before the creation of the world, God had a plan to redeem mankind. And Jesus didn't let the comforts of heaven hold him back from coming to earth. Philippians 2 he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto. But he made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant. Didn't let comfort stop him from God's plans. He didn't let the opposition of the Romans or the religious leaders deter him from what he was doing. God came to earth in Jesus. God with us. Emmanuel. And he called disciples. Like he's calling you and I. And he gathers them and he teaches them and he trains them. And he starts traveling around from village to town to city. Starts preaching the good news of the kingdom. And he heals the sick. And he opens blind eyes. He cures the leper. He raises the dead. He casts out demons. Three action-packed years of ministry. You don't get better than that, friends. And then the cross, the ultimate demonstration of God's unconditional love for us. Jesus dies for you and I. And on the cross, God takes my sin and your sin 
and my guilt and your guilt and my shame and your shame and places it on Jesus and punishes Jesus instead of you and I. There's this transfer of sin. Jesus, the sinless one, the perfect one, is a substitute, a sacrifice who dies in our place. That whoever believes in him, put our faith in Jesus. It says, God credits to us the righteousness of Christ. Wow. Isn't that amazing? What better action is there than that? And he rises from the dead on the third day to show, to prove as evidence that he's conquered the devil, he's defeated death, he's trampled sin underfoot, that those of us who also trust in him one day will rise to eternal life like he did and with him. Jesus Christ was the man of the greatest action. Nehemiah was impressive. God is far greater. What if we stand? We're going to break bread. Maybe the band could come up. We're going to share communion together. You would have hopefully picked up one of these little packets at the front. If you haven't, please get one. We're going to break bread together now. We're going to consider what Christ has done. This is what communion means. The bread, the little cracker in the top layer is a symbol, it's a picture, it's to remind us of Jesus' body that was broken, that you and I could be made whole. Okay, it's a picture, it's a symbol. The, the red grape juice at the bottom is a symbol, it's a picture, it's a reminder of Jesus' blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So we're going we're gonna to break bread in a moment, but I want to ask this. If you've never put your faith in Jesus... You've never become a Christian. You've never received this eternal life from Him. Before you break bread with the rest of us who do have faith, this morning you can put your faith in Jesus. Maybe we can just close our eyes and contemplate what God has done in our lives, what He's already doing. He's at work in us. Friends, this morning, if you need to make your life right with God, you know you're not in a good place with God, You need to put your faith in Him. You need to cross that line into faith. I'd love to pray with you this morning before we break bread. Just raise your hand quickly where you are. I'd love to pray with you. Anyone like that? You want to put your faith in Jesus? Thank you. One, two, three, four, five. A whole bunch of hands going up. It's amazing. Father, this morning, just echo this prayer in your heart. This morning, we put our faith in you, Lord. We see what you have done for our sin, for our brokenness, for our shame, for our guilt, for our rebellion. Lord, you took it on yourself and you were punished. God's wrath was poured out on you, Jesus, that I could go free, that I could be forgiven. And this morning, Jesus, I receive that salvation. I receive that eternal life in faith. We say, Lord Jesus, would you make us born again? Would your spirit make a new creature of us? As we put our faith in you, fill us with your spirit, Lord God. Help me to follow you like Nehemiah did. 
Friends, I'd like us to break bread in this way this morning. If you are discouraged, stuff has not gone right in your life, whatever the reason, we don't need to know. If you would like one of our leaders to stand with you and pray with you and break bread with you, please come down to the front. We'd love to break bread with you. If you're discouraged, if stuff is not going right, you need someone just to help you remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Just bring your communion cup down to the front. We'll have one of our leaders pray with you. If you also are feeling flat spiritually, you spiritually, there's nothing happening in your life. You, you know Jesus, but like there's nothing happening. If you've got spiritual procrastination, if, I don't even know if that's a phrase. But if you need some injection of God's life this morning, also please come down to the front. We'd love to pray with you. And then lastly, there might be some people here where there are areas of your life that if you're honest, they look like the walls of Jerusalem. They're broken down. They're in ruins. They're in tatters. They're, they're no good for what God wants them. If you know there's something that is just not right, again, we don't need to know. We would love to stand with you and trust God to, to intervene. God is the one who can rebuild. He is the great architect and builder of his house, of his people. He's the one that can restore and redeem. We would love to pray for you. So let's close our eyes. If, if you would like prayer for any of those things, come down to the front. Lord Jesus, as we break bread now, as we consider the cross and all that you've done, Lord Jesus, this morning we remind ourselves that it's because of what you've done, the action of God from heaven, who has done these things. And Father, as we break bread, we pray, fill us with your spirit, touch us, stir our hearts to action and all these things. And Lord, as we pray for those up front this morning, we pray, Lord, for God to be at work, for lives to be rebuilt, futures to have hope. In Jesus' name. Let's break bread, friends. If you're a leader here, please come down. We'd love you to pray with some of these people.
Father, I pray for us this morning that wherever we are, at home, at work, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our family, that like Nehemiah had the most amazing favor from God, with the King, Lord, that you would favor us, your people, in whom your spirit is, in whom your presence is. Father, we want to be like Paul, who said, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, we, we lay hold of, we, we grab with both hands the things that God has planned for us. Lord, I pray for the things that have uh, entangled us, have kept us back, have hindered us, has slowed us down, whatever they are, Father, we shed them now. The burdens, Father, we shed them now in the light of your cross and all that you've done, Jesus. We want to lay hold of the eternal life to which you've called us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What an amazing morning, hey? Wow, God is good. He is at work. He is at work. If you want to know a bit more about the outreach, there's a short 10-minute meeting happening here in the front. On my left, your right. Please join us. Uh, otherwise, free cappuccinos at the back. Join the queue. The baristas are going. They're there. Hey? Eh?